0: Hello and welcome to Surveillance Exploring the Utiliverse podcast. I'm Young Ngo, your host and CTO at Surveillant. The Utiliverse is our unique term for the ongoing evolution of the electrical utility industry. A podcast will explore the industry transformative landscape from grid modernization, distribution automation and renewable energy to critical conversations on climate change and decarbonization. These discussions will include subject matter experts who offer diverse perspectives on what drives our industry forward. Now, let's explore the Utiliverse together. Today, we are excited to welcome Amy Grice, the Chief Operating Officer of Peninsula Light Company. Amy has been a key part of Peninsula Light since 2011. With a focus on new operational technologies, she has significantly improved the distribution system efficiencies and outage response. Her expertise is backed by a massive Engineering and Technology Management and an Electrical Engineering degree, both from Washington State University. Peninsula Light Company serving over 30,000 customers is a standout cooperative in Washington State. It is the second largest co-op in the state with a substation, 33 feeders, and a thousand circuit miles of distribution network. Penlight is a pioneer in utilizing advanced OT and IT systems such as ADMS, GIS, and innovative analytic tools demonstrating commitment to cutting-edge utility management and customer services. Let's dive into our Utiliverse conversation with Amy about her journey in shaping Peninsula Light, her insights into operational technology, and the company's role in driving sustainable energy solutions. Greetings, our listeners, and a warm welcome to Amy Grice. Chief Operating Officer of Penlight Utility on the Surveillance Exploring the Utiliverse podcast. Hi, Amy. It's great to have you with us today. How are you?
1: I'm well. Thank you very much. Uh,
0: I'm really looking forward to our chat today, uh, especially uh, diving into the, the what I would say, a cutting-edge uh, data management initiative at uh, Penlight. Uh, I believe that... Uh, with this world of, of grid monetization that we're entering or we're in the middle of, where big data, digital twins, advanced analytics and, and operational automation uh, are no longer just buzzwords. Uh, I think for consulting in the industry, uh, they are realities um, shaping the future of utilities uh, in, in North America. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm quite intrigued about, uh, to understand uh, how penlight uh, geographical location, right? Uh, the weather challenges that you face being on the west coast uh, of the US and also the specific needs of your customers uh, that uh, are having influence I believe in your strategy on how you utilize uh, one of the major investment that the utility have made in the AMI infrastructure right the the high quality high fidelity data how could that be used to manage operation Uh, Reflecting on the diverse needs of the utility uh, customer base across U.S. and Canada, um, actually, it strikes me, and I, I may have mentioned you uh, to you in past conversation, that Penlight actually stands out uh, in, in the effort that you're leveraging the MI data. Uh, really, when we look across the almost 500 or over 500 customers in North America. Uh, no other utility, uh, I think, would have the kind of data or the opportunity for you to leverage that, right? So uh, w- we have a good range of topics that we'll be talking to Amy today. So from, from an opportunity and challenges, uh, I believe your goal is to uh, provide reliable, affordable, and interestingly, responsible power to its member. That's from the Panelite website. And maybe we explore that word. What does that mean, responsible power? So so let's dive in. So uh, appreciate uh, Amy, if you can uh, kind of take some time to introduce utility, talk about uh, what the goals and objectives for your members are, and what are you investing in operationally uh, along with the data uh, to help serve the purpose or the mission of the utility?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to speak with you today and to share our story and a little bit about Nitzle Light and what we've been able to accomplish. Um, Over the last 10 years, we have invested a lot of resources, both time and money, into developing our digital twin, um, which is really a replication of what is happening in the field back in the office. At the same time, we've continued to make um, major investments in the field equipment itself and the capabilities. So as you mentioned, the AMI was one of the large projects. Um, Over that 10-year span, however, we've also invested a similar amount of money in um, high-end, high-fidelity data from our reclosers. Um, We've standardized and currently have over 300 SCADA devices out in the field. They are all using uh, communications uh, with a Verizon cellular modem and pulling at standard SCADA speeds. Um, So backing up a little bit to explain who Peninsula Light is, we are a smaller cooperative in Washington State, just south of Seattle. We serve a little over 35,000 meters, 26,000 members. Um, We were founded in 1925, um, so that was before the federal funding that sponsored and and started a number of the co-ops throughout the U.S., um, we currently serve the Gig Harbor and Key Peninsulas, so we're shaped like a U, and three islands. We are the second largest co-op in Washington State, and we have eight distribution substations, 33 feeders, and 1,000 circuit miles. Roughly 50% of our backbone, the three-phase backbone, is still overhead. We have undergrounded the rest of it. So when we talk about 300 SCADA sites out on the system, Those are all GNW Vipers with Schweitzer 651Rs. We have full sensing on both sides of that switch, Um, and that includes both the overhead and the underground system. So we have roughly 50 switch cabinets on the underground system that have that same device as we've invested in the overhead as well. So when we talk about how much data we have coming in, in addition to our AMI, we have all of that operational information with. SCADA enabled back into the surveillance full ADMS system.
0: Uh, that sounds like the system is fully digital, literally. Uh, so the only thing analog perhaps are the electrons that are running through the, <laughs> the, the cable, <laughs> literally, uh, well wired uh, to your perspective. Um, can you put some context, uh, which I touch on being on the west coast of Washington State, you talk about mm-hmm. Uh, also the supply side uh, you're quite renewable already in terms of the mix of supply coming into your system right so what are some of the priorities uh, when you're investing in in the technology and the data uh, to help its member
1: um, yeah our our top priority is and has been reliability for our membership um we are a full requirements customer of Bonneville power administration so roughly 90 90- of our power that BPA provides to us is considered renewable by the vast majority of the industry. Um, The one caveat to that is back in 2006, the Washington state legislation passed a a renewable act called I-937, which required utilities with more than 25,000 meters to have non-hydro based renewables. And then there were certain thresholds that we had to meet from that. Um, so while we do have the power contract with BPA, we are also a partial owner in a wind project that is located east of the state with three other cooperatives and PUDs in order to meet that I-937 credit requirement.
0: Right. I understand also that uh, perhaps uh, the load of uh, Penlight that this has been Jim shift uh, with with maybe the warmer um, what I would say summer activities um, you may be prepared maybe seeing increase in air conditioning load now that uh, people are installing otherwise maybe in the past uh, so many years uh, that kind of load has started to appearing on the system possibly and and you're preparing for this I guess with all the data collection
1: we are um, we used to be a winter peaking entity and that very much is no longer the only time that we hit our peak of around 160 megawatts. Um, this summertime with the hot weather that we've seen, which has been very abnormal and very different, and yet it seems to be more consistent. Um, we have been seeing those same levels of load even in July and August due to the increase in air condition. Um, up here in Washington, it was not normal for a house to have air conditioning. Um, now with the heat pumps, and especially with a number of the new building code mandates that have been coming out from the state building entity, um, we are seeing the heat pumps with air conditioning on it by default. And so therefore, I don't think people truly are intending to add load during the summer. And yet that's very much what we have seen.
0: Right. So uh, to your point there, not, not just the... Uh, uh, the load or the peak, the type of power going to the system, but now the low profile and the timing. So I think that in some way, complicate or, or, or make things more complex on how utility understand the system as they behave over time or experience, but now having to address for some of these future. So I think let's dive into then the, the data side. So you talk about the number of SCADA devices, the AMI data, and I think the investment you've made uh, in terms of your data center, uh, the IT OT infrastructure, uh, how to bring all this stuff in, and all the platform. Let, let's let's go through some of those major investment uh, that you made. I think I think the journey has been at least five years now. Uh, when you have evaluated some of these technology, uh, try to make them work together. We would love to hear about you know your experience with now handling the amount of data that's coming in, and, and how you're doing that uh, infrastructure-wise and operationally.
1: Okay, absolutely. Um, When I started at Peninsula Light in 2011, we had a legacy data system. It did not have GIS embedded in it, and yet there was a desire to have an OMS fully functional and running 24/7. Our very first attempt at that failed miserably because our GIS data and that foundational fundamental piece of the puzzle with the model that has to exist in order for OMS to run was not there. So we partnered with a group um, that we brought up and had them rebuild a full ESRI model with a geometric network. We got accurate GPS information from every single pole involved in the system. And we built out that connectivity model from the substation down to every single meter. The effort in order to maintain that going forward is still a challenge because our as building process and the capabilities of those systems between the staking and work order packages are still not really where they need to be to have that real-time integration in place so that as things change in the field, they're automatically brought back in. So that is still a continued area that we are constantly looking for improvements on. But when we looked at what was going to be our next generation SCADA system, we knew that that model had to be foundational. And so we we went to look for what other opportunities were on the market. Surveillance continued to come up over and over again as the leader in this space. And so in, I believe it was 2016, 2017 was the first, um, the first time that we brought that model into the surveillance system and then started building SCADA up from there. So even the very first time that we turned on surveillance, it had absolutely no SCADA enabled. It had the GIS system model as the basis. And part of that effort has been continuously working towards trying to replicate exactly what happens to the field back in the control center at the time it happens. So as, as this journey has continued, we have, added in additional functionality onto surveillance ADMS. And what's fantastic about it is the checkbox enablement of the licensing. So by default, everything's there. And as long as you want it enabled and you have the background, you have the data coming in, you can go checkbox it on and never really have to worry about redoing the fundamental piece of that software, which has been fantastic. Um, The other aspect that we utilized was because we knew we were standardizing on the field equipment, um, and that included the relay configurations as well of the 651Rs, we chose from the start to use the control panels and the ID wizards so that as we brought in a new site, it was identical, and that has enabled us to be able to install a new recloser out in the field in a couple of hours and have it immediately back into surveillance within maybe 30 minutes worth of work. part of that enablement has also been using something with the surveillance system for switch orders. So because we had the model in place first and foremost with the SCADA sites layered over the top, at this time, because we have so much capability out on the system with the communications and the rock solid communications to those devices as well, The switch order capability, we can hit a single button and within five minutes, and it's really nerve wracking to sit and watch this happen, but we can offload an entire substation so that our crews can go work in it in a de-energized state. The first two times we did it, it was everybody sitting around the control center watching the screens going, is this, are we okay with this? Are we sure? But we had walked through it already um, very slowly, um, step by step with a person in the middle. We knew that it was going to work the way we intended. And then hitting that one button and having an entire substation offloaded in less than five minutes is just a remarkable situation to be in.
0: Uh, to your point, uh, lots of efforts around uh, setting up uh, what we believe is foundational, um, the network model itself. That, that's the starting point uh, where things uh, could be connected in the field of sensor. Uh, and the type of data that flow in and, and really put things in context and allow the automation that you just highlighted uh, uh, that, uh, that makes it happen. L- let's talk about the AMI uh, infrastructure that you have. You know, that, that's uh, certainly something that surveillance uh, on the r and front has been engaging with, with your team uh, to understand what is feasible. But, uh, but it's quite amazing when you talk about uh, being able to get five-minute interval data and one-minute PQ data. You also have disconnect switches in that network. Um, boy, a, a lot of potential uh, when you mine that data, uh, both in real time in a forecast interval. Uh, but uh, I believe Penlight has done very well, and I believe you're very proud of of what you've been able to put in place. And now it's just a matter of leveraging that. So. Welcome some thoughts around that. And and I believe you've spoken certainly at conferences uh, uh, around uh, this capability. Uh, The data is the new gold or the new oil, whatever we want to call it. And and that level of high fidelity and high uh, quality uh, is amazing.
1: Our system really is remarkable, and it is something I am very proud of being able to deliver for Mitchell Light and our membership, and driving the industry and the utilities that will hopefully follow in our footsteps forward to take advantage of what is possible is really exciting to be in a lead position on this. Um, Just to put in perspective, out of the 35,000 meters, we have 29,000 Um, residential 200 amp disconnect switch capable meters. Uh, Big reason we elected to go in that direction was when you look at the overall cost of the total project, adding in the disconnect switch from a cost perspective was relatively minor. The thought was this should hopefully be a 20 year technology. Um, We have a guarantee to 10 years, but we are really hoping that we will be able to see a full 20 year lifespan. Knowing that we have EVs coming into the system, we have solar generation and other distributed generation coming into play that we don't even really know what that might look like yet over the next 15 years. It, the disconnect switches enable us to have a level of flexibility that we don't know exactly how we use, other than currently using them for non payment um, or for if there is some minor work or anything like that. Um, but because we've enabled the same functionality across the fleet, we don't have to worry about, oh, does this one meter have the capability, but this one doesn't. If we have somebody that was a, a member that was in good standing and paid all the time, sold their house, and now we have somebody that struggles with payments, do we have to send somebody out to go switch that meter in place, or can we just leverage the functionality that was already there? So it, it has been a cost savings that It is difficult to put a number on because of the number of site trips that we no longer do for situations like that. Um, And it's hard to quantify sometimes those level of savings when you're no longer doing that work anyway. Um, So in terms of the amount of data we bring in, the 200 amp, 320 amp residential meters have eight channels, five minute interval data across all of those. Our commercial meters are 20 channels, also five minute data across all of those. We bring that data back in every two hours across the entire system. We have a full set of 99% of that data comes back to us every single two hours. The AMI system we're on is an analytical powerhouse. The the communications card also takes a snapshot instantaneous power quality value um, every single minute. So voltages and currents, and I believe it also snapshots the frequency as well as the power factor. Those come back in as well every two hours. Those don't have quite as good of a success rate. We're running closer to about an 85% success rate on the power quality data coming back into us. Um, But that's a functionality that I do anticipate having the AMI system get better at and get us higher quality up to about a 99% rate as well. Between those data sets and then the the lower level data sets, which I call them lower level because it's just not as much, um, is our billing data, which comes in at midnight every night. We get 99.99% of that data that comes in, as well as meter events. And the meter events are meter-based events as part of the configuration of the meter itself. So a low voltage alert, tamper alerts, things like that. The communication card controls the last gasp and power restorations. Those events, For the meter-based events, the configuration of the meter itself, those come back in every two hours, and we're really hoping that we'll be able to drive that result down to about a one-minute retrieval rate on those meter-based events as well. Um, Right now, it's just not quite ready for that level of communication, but I do firmly believe that we'll get there with the capabilities.
0: Wow, uh, I mean, I have to uh, write down very furiously all the uh, all the data capability that you have, and and our work with you is strictly just kind of the interval data at this point, and and it broke <laughs> you know, the, uh, the storage system, and you know for forecasting. So, uh, but it's, it's so exciting uh, to your point there. So, communication technology is one that's enabling this, right? Th- these smart devices, and certainly uh, for the smart metering AMI industry, the vendors out there are now starting to put. Uh, what we call the uh, machine learning AI chip to process things locally, right? So much data to be brought back. I think we look forward to understand uh, how, uh, I think these are SCADA quality level data, which you have highlighted to us, right? How could this be used uh, in conjunction with with the substation level, the feeder level, all the devices out there uh, from the grid edge all all the way to the control room? I, I think it's a very exciting time
1: With the amount of data that we have coming in from the meters, we've been able to do some pretty remarkable analysis already. It is always after the fact. I would love to see that get closer to real time. Um, Part of my background when we looked at AMI solutions um, coming from a 10 plus year SCADA experience was looking at how do we leverage meters that are end of line devices by default? How do we use that information for more than just billing? We had been on an AMR system for 15 years prior to looking at the next generation of AMI. So we knew that we could bill. That was fundamental, foundational, not a question. When we looked at What were we going to do different with the next generation AMI? It was really about operations capabilities, real-time information coming back into the control center and enabling the dispatcher to have even more information than just the SCADA devices coming in. So as part of that decision and future forward look, when we partnered with the AMI solution and started bringing in the amount of data that we do, which is roughly a terabyte of data a year. Um, I just had a vendor last week tell me that we're bringing in more data than some of the million meter IOUs, and that we're processing more data in one day than most of them are doing in an entire month. Um, one of those partners that we have had really good success with over the last year is Future Grid. Um, they've been a fantastic analytical company that has enabled um, identification of EVs, downline conduct, downline conductor identification. Um, has been a main project for us over the last year as the wildfire mitigation situation has really emerged on the West Coast specifically. um, We have been challenged to find a protective solution to identifying tree wire that our trees, we still have massive fir trees no matter how much vegetation management we do every year that continue to fall down, take our three phase wire to the ground and with the tree wire that we've put out, a lot of times it looks like a high load instead of a fault. And so those upstream reclosers are not able to detect it. And the fusing does not open. So we've been looking for other solutions. Um, one of those that so far looks very promising is using all of this AMI data that's coming back in in conjunction with our SCADA data to put it into an analytical powerhouse system that can process it quickly and then alert us so that we can manually go look at it and then remotely operate those devices. As we gain confidence in that, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to figure out how to automate it. It will never be protection speed because there's communications, there's latency, there's just a little bit more processing that has to happen from from this solution. So it is not something that possibly a higher risk area might want to look at. For downline detection, but for our situation and our use case, the solution that we're looking at right now using our analytics, our data, and then um, partnering with Future Grid looks very promising.
0: Uh, yes, I think that's uh, when I heard about uh, the effort that you look to use the AMI data for for the downline detection, certainly on, on the west side uh, of, of the country and, and some of the fire, uh, wildfire, or forest fire situation, that, that's quite interesting. And I think that's just another, what I would say, um, instead of putting more sensors out there, right, or different kind of sensors, there are technology on video, there's alarm, smoke detector, yeah. More sensor coming in, but I think how do you leverage the the investment that you have made now, just processing it through either different tools or different algorithm. Uh, so I think that's something that uh, surveillance would be watching of interest to understand how we can certainly evolve the the ADMS or whatever the sensing of the some of the uh, the scheme inside the operation of DMS to take some of these signal in. And, and give you, what I would say, faster response time. So we'll be watching of interest uh, as we work through that. Um, can you talk to me about uh, how the data, data collection and all that, w- what impact has that may have had with, with the organization, the, 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 the control room, the engineers, or even the field crew? Because now you have this data. I would expect that um, there's effort to mine it, uh, understand it, Uh, But I think give confidence uh, to the various organizational function, you know, in their role uh, and help them, you know, look at reliability and certainly uh, improving it.
1: Um, One use case that we had no idea even existed for us before AMI went in was watching for transformers that had tap changers on them. Um, We had not tracked them. From an engineering and operations perspective, most of us are newer in the last 10 years, and the majority of these devices, the transformers had been installed 30 years ago. So that legacy knowledge of where they were and that they even existed was not something that any of us had on our radar at all. So AMI comes in, we start really processing the data, we start looking at at the transformer voltage information that was now coming in, And we started to be able to pinpoint those locations that the tap changer over the years had been set up for a specific instance in time based off of a single snapshot of load that they, at some point, obviously, had gone out and, and looked at manually, but then never went back to and so we didn't have anything that was outside of our legal requirements in terms of service, but we did have a, a large number of locations where we went back and lowered those um, taps so that the voltage was more in line with the rest of the system. So again, another, another capability of the system, of the AMI data that we had never even identified as a business case reason to use it, to install it, and then bring in the amount of data that we were and yet something that allowed us to provide even a better level of service to our members. So that was really exciting to see and be able to quantify what kind of value, the amount of data we are bringing in. Um, Other capabilities that we have at this point are really watching for as solar needs to get installed at a specific location, Um, being able to not just see a a very short timeframe of of data, but really looking back now over the last two and a half years to look at that average value of, because we do have a number of homes that are um, only used in the summer. So if you have a neighbor coming in with solar and not being able to see that over time usage of that transformer, the AMI data and having the analytic, analytic capabilities that we do allow us to really make sure that we're doing the right thing as new services come in play.
0: I would expect that this data, when you're talking about uh, understanding some of these assets, also probably connected to your asset management activity, right? Uh, some uh, inspection-based, uh, some uh, time-based, and perhaps uh, this will connect to, uh, this will be analytical-based, right? Uh, and understand uh, when potential failures, I, I, I would expect that some of this may be getting into some of the workflow process.
1: We are definitely working towards that. Um, we're still trying to come to terms with how, how do we really look at this much data when it's coming in um, so that you're not constantly chasing the individual issues that might only have existed for a very short period of time? So the current capabilities that we have alert us to issues, but now we have to make sure that we don't just run out to the field every single time we get an alert in. We want to make sure that, was that an anomaly? did somebody have a friend come over and plug in an RV for a couple of days. And then they left and that RV is never going to be back there again. Um, That's not really something we want to have to go deal with because it was an anomaly. And so starting to really understand how our crews and our operations and our engineering look at the data as a whole and, and start to watch for those trends and, and how do we use it for asset management and Do you run things to failure? Or do you proactively get out and and upgrade or otherwise make improvements? And, And those are tough decisions to make, especially in lieu of other work going on and other projects that you already know you need to go do as well. So it's definitely still a work in progress in terms of where and how do we use everything? And at what point does it make sense to go to the field and take action?
0: I think to your comment, just like anything, right, uh, data now is a type of commodity, right, that that if you apply in the right context, you align with the electrons that are flowing, then you'll get a story uh, that that would be useful for different functional group. And um, the higher fidelity, the higher quality, that means that you, you can zoom into resolution. And to your point, uh, you could get different conclusion. Depends on who's analyzing it in real time. And then data quality, when you mesh that with the bigger universe of data, time skew, uh, boy, I I think the data science (laughs) um, field. Right now, there's a lot of storage, to your point, of this data. Uh, But I believe uh, maybe chat GPT will save us all. We'll push all that in there and it'll tell us (laughs) how to operate. uh, And and we're having some R&D around that. Uh, but I think having the data, storing the data, the ability to reflect and benchmark is so important when we talk to utilities uh, at this point in time. Um, Where do you see next? Uh, I think you highlight a few things talking about asset management. Um, I, I believe the the downline conductor is is the kind of the innovation uh, advanced R&D that you're having and you look to put into the system because that impact reliability and I assume safety right but how do you see let's say the next three to five years um, leveraging either on the data or new investment that, that that you'll be making in the OT side of the system uh, to continue providing that reliable power and certainly option for responsible power also.
1: That is a really open-ended question.
0: (laughs) Sure. Um, You may take it in any direction that you like (laughs) uh, uh, in that sense, but uh, um, in terms of priorities for you and your team and possibly the the capital plan that you may be having, right, uh,
1: looking forward Yeah. So our capital plan has always been very realistic looking. So very, very little amounts of our resources and money go into – the, the 20 year future vision. But as we make decisions on those capital improvements, we are constantly looking at that 20 year vision. Um, in terms of our capital improvements, we're continuing to invest further in automation capabilities. So how, how can we better serve our members with um, switching capabilities, loops, um, backup control capabilities, Um, Part of what you had mentioned in terms of understanding data and making it available outside of operations that is a real challenge is that typically the data gets marked based off of a uh, normal substation and feeder. And when business units try to use that data because it's a normal power feed without having the real-time substation and feeder assignment associated to it. It ends up leading to a situation where business analytics, without having the operational information of how did my power actually get to that meter in conjunction with it, um, we have definitely had issues in the past couple of weeks even of trying to have business analytics for loading and billing capabilities outside of the operational realm where there's been Views of it where it makes it look like a feeder is highly overloaded because they did not take into account that we had switched and that we had a substation offline. And what they were looking at was really not an accurate representation of what was going on with the system at large. Um, and so, between that, and then you'd also mentioned time stamping, um, time is especially being on the West Coast where a lot of time references for some of our cloud based systems can be time stamped with Eastern time or even at times UTC time. Um, And for some reason, updates to certain systems like to default back to UTC time. And if you don't catch that or understand what you're looking at to then question a result from an analytical report, um, it it takes both an electrical engineering and operational view and a data analytics uh, knowledge base to really be able to take advantage of the amount of data we have and the analytics that we have set up to monitor and report on what's going on with the system. And so it's a very complicated setup because we can set up a report that's gonna run for 360 days and on day 361, something was different on the operational system that the report had never intended to know about. And so you have these corner cases that then flag up that if you don't know to question it, will look like everything is broken and nothing works. Mm -hmm. And so trying to preemptively understand and then know about that to train the real-time operations group that's watching all of this has been a learning process for everybody here.
0: Uh, You you raise a very important point uh, about who does the data analytic in what context Time domain. I came from, I grew up in the engineering process industry. So, to your point, UTC time, daylight like saving time. When it's switched, oh. things have break <laughs> in the system, right? We're missing that hour. And how do we align all that? So, I think there's very much an appreciation. And back to your point, um, the, the grid model, right? That conclusion, you know, is not an ass bill is an ass operator at that time and now that ever evolving grid are uh, dynamic. So even what was thought to be right, uh the planning, the forecasting domain just have gotten shorter and shorter. And I think these are some of the efforts that we're working with you to understand how this data could could certainly apply in the appropriate grid connection. Because we still have a lot of physics, right? How the electron get from one end yes. to the other that sometimes that contact is missing uh in the data lake itself. Um, and and that needs to be the framework where how the data is analyzed. So very, very, what I would say, reflective of the things we see. And I think you're going through that process with the things you're looking to do, um, I would expect.
1: Yeah. um. So back to the, the rest of the capital improvement and kind of future forward looking projects too, with that model being the foundational piece of everything that we're doing all of our work that we've done over the last 10 years has really driven us to that true digital twin Um, we use esri core product we do not have anything that layers over the top or provides any extra intelligence on top of it so our current version with the geometric network is obviously coming up to end of life here so over the next year a major push for us is to move to the utility network model which we're very excited that Surveillant already is planning on supporting and already moving in that direction with us. So that won't be holding us back at all so that we can take advantage of these new tools that Esri will have available out of the box to continue to drive towards this concept of a true digital twin and being able to get information from the field as it occurs back into the control system as quickly as possible with high fidelity and high confidence levels. And when that breaks or it doesn't happen, you know about it. Because on the flip side of all of our efforts, it's always knowing when is something not working that you think is. And a lot of solutions out there do not have a monitoring first view when they install. They wait for something to break and then go, oh, well, let's go ahead and set up a monitoring here. And so having a control system at our core, which, obviously with our surveillance ADMS is our foundation piece of this, because it was SCADA first, and you know that SCADA has to be online, it has to be operational 24-7, 365. And the minute something's not working, we've got to be able to alert on it. And because that has been where we've really centered our efforts to drive all this information and data, we have been able to ensure that we have high confidence that whatever alerts we are getting are getting to us And if for some reason something's not working, we know about it very, very quickly. So I will say as as we wrap to close out our conversation here a little bit is that the ability to ensure that as the data comes in, the analytics are in place and your reporting is set up, you have to have the monitoring as well. And you have to treat what is coming in as new technology with a 20-year history approach of, what is foundational SCADA methodologies and make sure you're applying those along the way. Our AMI system has control of 80% of our total load. The one thing that scares me very much is that because that AMI system was not necessarily built as a control system first, that now that they control 80% of our load, if anything were to ever happen and those disconnect switches all open at once and drop, that much load off of our system, because it was not a control system, first and foremost, how do we mitigate that risk to ensure that that can never happen? Our SCADA equipment is built for that security and that confidence level and 24-7, 365 for 50 years. The AMI systems were not built for that from the start, and yet we are using them in that way now. So how do we continue to drive that area of our industry that is new that does not have the background of SCADA at its core, even though we're now leveraging that information and that data and that capability back in our control centers. So I think that's a huge, um, a huge part of where we'll be continuing to push the other vendors that are not a SCADA background. history and experience levels, so that as we do rely on these new technologies in the dispatch center to make real-time decisions, that we know we're going to be re- able to rely on that information.
0: So I think to the point to maintain redundancy, resiliency, we didn't even touch on cybersecurity and all of this other stuff. Maybe that's another uh, topic for the for the podcast. Um To your point, ultimately, the OT or the operational side cannot rely on only one set of control data, right? So it has to balance all of this, and there's a hierarchy of decision-making. And I think this is where surveillance is working with our customer base, you know, PennLite, you, to understand where some of these priorities and how to leverage uh, the infrastructure you have and the data that you have. So you mentioned uh, uh, and, and share some thoughts around uh, what uh, you believe is is important about data. Any final word of wisdom uh, before we close out uh, this podcast to your peers? Uh, I think you mentioned about vendors also, w- was that the comment that ensuring uh, OT and control, or anything else that that you like to uh, share, because I believe definitely, that's what I said in the beginning, Penlight is at the forefront of a lot of this, and I think utility will be surprised, uh, or, or the vendors in the market will be surprised about the data, the the, the cloud, and all of this other uh, activities that are going to this space.
1: So I think my recommendation for other utilities that are looking at how to continue to move forward with technology and not get overwhelmed is know what your end goal is. Look at what you think your operations and your business is going to need in 10 and 20 years. And as you are making decisions on projects and investments today, keep that goal in mind. You might have to make incremental changes. Um, For us, our very first step was to go build out our system model and ensure that we had connectivity and an impedance model from the substation to the meter. And we built from there up. Um, We had that flexibility at the time because we already had AMR for billing, so we were no longer meter reading. And we were able to use that as our foundation to then slowly move forward. Had I come into the utility 10 years ago and said, 10 years from today, we're going to have 300 Viper STs with 651Rs on everything and an AMI system with full disconnects, I would have gotten laughed at. But because we slowly have built this out and have addressed the internal changes that are needed, we've worked and explained along the way with the crews that have to actually go out and operate and maintain the equipment. And the business as a whole has seen those incremental improvements along the way without it being this massive, huge undertaking that got thrown at them all at once. Um, So going forward, I would say, keep that end goal in mind at all times. And even if there's a slight investment today that you may not be able to take advantage of for the next few years, it gives you the flexibility going forward to be able to pivot very quickly as I call them the truths of the day. As those change, how do you not have to turn around and go reinvest in something that just got installed five years ago, or have to tell somebody, no, we can't do this cool new thing that we think we should be able to do because we just did this other thing five years ago. So keeping that flexibility in place, making small incremental investments, even if it means a 5% adder today that you are not going to use right now, but it gives you that extra flexibility going forward. That's really what has made us very successful over the last 10 years to be where we are right now, to be able to have the capabilities in front of us and really have an open-ended idea stream of how can we take advantage of what we have built out now where the incremental cost now going forward is minimal compared to what we've already invested. And that's really to me what's exciting and, and what makes me come into work every day and go, what else are we gonna do? Because I never really know. And yet we are constantly able to solve problems that have just arose with the capabilities that are already out. So as as you mentioned with the AMI being part of a solution for Online conductors or for transformer loading or for even being able to isolate a backfeed situation from a net meter from a generation source that nobody even told us had gone into a house. Um, those are those capabilities that are really exciting to know that we have because we've made those investments early.
0: Excellent advice. Um... I believe that your AMI infrastructure is going to be the gift I keep on giving. Data coming a terabyte a year, right? Or more. Uh, and uh, I think the analytics uh, that will come out of that in the future for the grid modernization is going to be so critical. I think we could continue on for a couple of hours on this topic. <laughs> but uh, uh, as we draw this episode of Surveillance Exploring the Utiliverse podcast to a close, uh, I would like to extend a heartfelt thank you to Amy Grice, uh, COO of Penlight, for joining us today. It's been a very enlightening conversation, and we cover a lot of ground today. Uh, We delve into the intricacies of of grid monetization investment, uh, the pivotal role uh, that Penlight sees big data and advanced analytics uh, to support utility operations. Um, Amy's insight into how these elements play into the broader mission, uh, ultimately focusing on the customer, right? Uh, Providing reliable, affordable and responsible power to its member, uh, quite fascinating. For our listeners, uh, I believe there's been a wealth of information and advice uh, for you to consider, uh, whether you're a professional in the utility sector, a tech enthusiast, or even someone interested in how the world uh, around you is going to be power. Uh, uh, You need power for your cell phone, your battery, uh, the topics today uh, we've discussed, kind of offer the glimpse into the future of utility management where uh, there's uh, the electron, the electricity, but now that's the data stream uh, that's in parallel uh, and the crucial role the technology uh, is going to drive it forward. Again, thank you, Amy, for sharing your expertise and experience with us. To our listeners, we appreciate you tuning in and hope today's discussion will spark further thought and conversation. We value your thoughts and questions. So feel free to connect with us by email to Utiliverse at Surveillance.com, follow at Utiliverse on X, and post on X using the hashtag Utiliverse. A big thank you to everyone who tuned in. Until we meet again, keep exploring the vast and ever-changing landscape of the Utiliverse.